I don't know what your rubbish TV confession is. I'm pretty confident we all have something. You know that kind of TV show where you watch when you're just tired, you want to flop? The kind of thing where you can just have a little nap, wake up, and it's as if you've not missed anything. Okay? For a time, in my student days, it was Neighbours. Is Neighbours still going? It is? Wow. Bizarre. It's not any reality TV show. It's, it's not even something obscure in the back corner of Netflix. For me, it's programs like Police Interceptors and Traffic Cops. I feel like I'm, I'm exposing and making myself vulnerable here. I'm desperately hoping someone else has that sort of bad... Yes, thank you at the back. Brilliant. I don't know what it is about watching uh, people driving badly or watching police chases or people getting caught doing stupid things on the road that I love to watch. But at the end of every episode, there's normally like a little catch-up at the end, isn't there? Uh, if you've ever watched them, where you kind of find out what happened to the people, the different people involved. And sometimes you're kind of watching it and you kind of go, yes, the right response has happened. There's been a punishment. The punishment fits the crime. But there are also times when I am kind of feeling frustrated, and I think this is why, why I'd be a rubbish police officer, when it feels like the charges are dropped too easily. Or you kind of look at the, the sentence that somebody gets or something, and considering the seriousness of what was involved, you kind of go, what? That's outrageous! And, and then I need to stop shouting at the TV. But we kind of feel that, don't we? Different situations. Like I don't know if, I don't know if uh, it was back in uh, August, I don't know if you picked up the story of the former uh, De Montford University student who was uh, put into court, was convicted, uh, of downloading white supremacist documents and various different documents on uh, combat, homemade weapons, explosives, as well as uh, writing letters raging against gay people and immigrants. Uh, and what did he end up being sentenced with? He got a, a suspended sentence, so avoided going to jail, apparently by the skin of his teeth. And instead, he was told to read classic literature, like Charles Dickens and Jane Austen and... William Shakespeare. And then he was to come back to court, I think it's in January, and he'll be tested uh, to see if he's done this. I don't know what you feel about that. I think what a lot of people felt he got off rather lightly, and uh, is it the Attorney General, the top legal person? I'm not a lawyer, correct me. Uh, in the country, has referred it, the sentence, to be looked at. But there are, there are, there are times when we feel that, that the punishment doesn't fit the crime. It's, it's, it got let off bit too lenient. There are other times when perhaps the punishment seems bizarre because well, the crime seems bizarre. Do you know you could be fined something like £500 in London if you walk down the road with a plank that you're not unloading from a van or a wheel or a pole or a ladder. Just bizarre, isn't it? And then there are other times where it perhaps feels like the punishment is, is really harsh. I remember reading, I think it was up in Nottingham somewhere, of uh, a man who was, who was fined for staying too long at his wife's graveside after she'd been buried because it meant the workers there had to stay on longer. I don't know if there's more to the story at first sight, but that feels harsh, doesn't it? That's really harsh. Or we could rewind a few centuries. We could go back to the 16th, 17th centuries uh, and a woman could be convicted of doing something unwoman, unwoman, oh, I can't even say the word, unwomanly. 
And you just know there's a bunch of blokes behind that. It makes you cringe inside. Well, it makes me cringe uh, inside. And if they're found guilty, what was the punishment? They were stuck on a chair on the end of a stick and basically dunked in any body of water nearby. Repeatedly. Pretty, pretty harsh. Pretty, pretty glad we got rid of that one. Why have I given us a, a blast of crime and punishment uh, this evening? Well, I, I hope it's to help us get into this reading uh, from the Bible tonight. If you've not been here for a bit or this is your first time uh, here at St. Luke's, uh, as Rob said, we're, we're in the books of 1 and 2 Kings. So uh, this evening, we're about 750 years before Jesus. Uh, God's people were their own country in the Middle East. As Rob's already hinted at, things uh, had gone from, from wonderful to falling apart. If you like, their, their life now was held together with sellotape and chewing gum. The country's been torn into two. So you've got the south and the north. Uh, and the whole country was being squeezed by kind of enemy countries around. He wanted to stamp their authority, stamp their mark all over God's people. And we're in the north tonight. And it's the moment they get stamped all over. And basically everything comes to an end for them. The explanation that we're given is it's their punishment. A punishment for God for the, for the crimes they've committed. And we're going to hear this story uh, now uh, from 2 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to uh, have verses 1 to 23 read and Sue's going to come and read that for us. King of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria and he reigned for nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he had no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Oshia, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halar, in Gozan, in the river harbour and in the towns of the Medes. All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They'd worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered 
to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had hoarded them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold them and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers, until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, uh, Sue. And it's, it's a heavy-duty kind of passage. Uh, and maybe it feels like an obscure, in an, a heavy-duty passage in an obscure uh, part of the Bible. But I guess those first six verses that are uh, we heard read, uh, they just read a bit like a newspaper report, don't they? Just simply stating what happened. Some political maneuvering on the part of the king of Israel so that the northern part of uh, the country of God's people seems to go wrong and go wrong badly. You have the king of Assyria, one of these surrounding nation superpowers, come in, stamp his authority, stamp his mark all over at God's people. He comes in all guns blazing. The capital city, Samaria, is surrounded, told it holds out for three years, but it's captured. What happens to all the people? We read, don't we, verse 6. It says, He deported, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala, in Gozan, on the river Harbor, and in the towns of the Medes. God's people are taken out from the, the, the home that God had given to them and they're moved out to far-flung corners. They're exiled. It's a dark and depressing outcome for God's people. If you can imagine being evicted from your home. But you're not allowed to just go around the corner to a friend's house or someone in your family's house. You're taken away to another country, somewhere you don't know, somewhere where you're an outsider. That was what happened to, to God's people. And if that's stating 
the kind of newspaper report of what happens. What, the, what happens, what we, what we read in the verses following, I guess it's like the post-match analysis. It's the, the going under the surface is going a bit deeper, giving the reason why it happens. What's really going on? And what do we find? We find out this is God's punishment for crimes committed by God's people. So you read in verse 7, all this took place because the Israelites, God's people, had sinned against the Lord their God. The king of Assyria might have come in and trashed the place, but it was under God's direction. The king of Assyria wouldn't have ever admitted that or known that. But that's the Bible's view of things. And then we read on, we go to somewhere like verse 18. We read, this is more than just God's people being taken away from the land, from their home. We're told us the Lord was very angry with Israel, with his people, and removed them from his presence. This wasn't just them losing their home. This was, this was lo- them losing their precious and treasured relationship with the living God. That's the punishment. And what's the crime that deserved that punishment? Well, perhaps have a look at those verses again. Shout out what you spot. What, 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 what's the list of crimes? If, if Israel were before the counter, the police sergeant's counter in the uh, police custody suite, what would be the list of charges being read to them? What are some of those things uh, in those verses they're, they're accused of? Anyone feel free to shout them out. They burnt incense, but particularly they burnt incense as part of worship to other gods. Gods who were not the living God. Anything else we want to add to their charge sheet? Yes, yeah, so following the ways of the countries around them, instead of being distinctive of God's people, they started to reflect the nations around them. Yeah. Anything else we want to do? You want to? Add anything else to their charge sheet? Do you want to make things worse for God's people this evening? Child, child sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. There was something from, someone was shouting something from that side. I don't know if you're going for the same thing. Witchcraft, yeah. There's a whole, whole heap of things, aren't there? But at the very core, the thing behind child sacrifice, behind burning incense and and the worship to other gods was, was rejecting the God who had saved them and rescued them and made them a people and given them their home and deciding to go after the gods of the other nations, to be like everyone else around them. And this passage and, and many other places in the Bible uh, make it clear that, that God's punishment of, of sending his people away from his presence fits the crime because they were trying to live their life pushing God out. They try and push God out. God sends them away from his presence. Punishment fits the crime. But I wonder though, when we read this, when we hear about God being angry, of God taking his Old Testament people into exile, whether whether we feel that that is a punishment that fits the crime, or whether like at the start of things, we we actually, we feel a bit uncomfortable. Think about God's anger. And we, we just, we're tempted to feel maybe that, oh, is the punishment a bit harsh? Is, is God's anger, he's a God of love. That's how we started the service. Is, is, surely, surely all this punishment stuff is, is a bit harsh, a bit like being dunked in the river 
for being unwomanly or fined for hanging about after a burial. Or maybe we feel the punishment's just a bit bizarre and outdated, a bit like those rules of what you can walk down the street with in London. So is God's punishment a bit harsh? Well, I wonder with just the, the people you're sitting next to, uh, just if, if you're happy to share, what is it that winds you up? What is it that gets you, gets you grumpy, gets you cross? Take 30 seconds. What is it, what is it that bothers you? Okay, it feels like I've tapped into something there. Maybe everyone's just having, enjoying a bit of therapy, getting things off their, their chest. Anyone want to share anything that winds them up? Are we feeling in that mood? Any, any of those things? Yeah, all oh, very keen at the back. Yeah. Dirt, leaving the dirty washing up water. <laughs> just, just Hannah in general. So, so siblings, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Anyone want to chip in? Whilst we get just getting these things off our chest. Road rage. Yeah, you get road rage. Yeah, I know plenty of other people do because along with my really bad habit of watching stuff like police interceptors, I have been known to watch dashcam videos on YouTube. A lot of people struggle with road rage. Uh, here's one for me. People who walk really slowly. Really annoying. I can remember a trip to Morrison's that Emily and I had. Um, we were recently married. Morrison's was a big supermarket next to us. Um, and it just had a big refit. It was looking really swanky. We walked in. Emily went, oh, they've moved the salad bar. No, they haven't. No, they have. No, they haven't. I was born here. I've been coming to this supermarket for how many years? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I come here every day for my lunch at work, and I, I know best because I'm here more often. We just could not agree. And we were getting more and more infuriated with each other. All of a sudden, we're getting cross at each other over something that ultimately just doesn't, didn't matter. You'll be glad to know by the time we got to the checkouts, I think we both managed to, oh, I'm really sorry. And we got over it. And now that's a story I use uh, as part of marriage prep. Just, just warning that, you know, sometimes you can get caught by the, the smallest of things. But so often what makes us cross, what makes us angry, isn't that reasonable and isn't that big a deal. Sometimes we do have reasonable anger. We see injustice uh, and we want to respond to it. But more often than not, our anger bubbles over in a moment over something that just doesn't matter. Not so with God. Not so the God of T. Kings 17. Verse 7, we're reminded all that God has done for his people. He was the one who, who did the most amazing rescue operation to bring them out of slavery in Egypt, to establish them as a people, to give them an identity, to have them as his treasured possession, to give them home, a good land to live in, to bless them. And what did God's people do in return? They threw it all back in his face. And then they turned their backs on him. This is, this is more than just making a few mistakes. This was more than just getting a few things wrong. This was bigger than full-blown teenage rebellion. This was like, like an act of adultery. And it's not like God's anger flashes up in a moment. 
We're told, verse uh, 13, the Lord warned Israel and Judah, so that's the north and the south, through his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. And what response did people like Elijah and Elisha, we've, we've heard about recently, or we could read of others in the Bible, Amos and Hosea, what was the response? We're told, verse 14, but they would not listen and they were stiff what that image of stiff-necked kind of brings to mind but it's that sense of absolutely fixed in that direction not going to turn left or right not going to turn away they're not budging they're not listening they've made their minds up God takes them seriously he treats them as adults and gives them over to what they've been trying to live out you want to live like the other nations they end up living in the other nations so God's punishment is, isn't overly harsh. It's a punishment that fits the crime. And so I guess maybe we're left with the question, well, is God's punishment a bit bizarre and a bit outdated? I mean, we're 750 years before Jesus. That's quite a long time ago. Uh, it's talking about names of kings and places we don't know. Uh, it's talking about God's people being a country, and we know that's not the case now. It's, is this just outdated and a bit bizarre? It's, it's, it's not for us. But actually, God has given us T. King 17. Because these events, yes, they're particular people in a particular place in a particular time, but they speak of something bigger. The Bible tells us all humanity, right from the start of things, right from Adam and Eve, experiences life now removed from God's presence. The rebellion of Adam and Eve meant that when you get the kind of opposite, is it the um, same poles of a magnet, they just repel each other. The holy God cannot be near that which is not holy. And the whole story of God's people in the Old Testament, if you like, was a picture and a promise of what was God was going to do in the whole world. A rescue to make, people, uh, to make people his people. A promise to give a home. A promise of a life of blessing. A promise of a coming king who would take this to the world. If you'd like, God's people were, like, were, were to be like a, a shop window I don't know, in the High Cross Center, where you look in and you just see how good things are. Uh, God's people were to be a shop window for the rest of the world to look in and go, that's how good life is with the living God. And if you like, what God's people lived out was a bit like what a go-kart is to a Formula One car. It's a bit like what a, a Sunday football league match is to a Premier League match. It's a bit like what a village baking competition at a fate is to the Great British Bake Off. It glimpses, over here, it glimpses something far bigger and far better. But God's people didn't live out being this shot window. Instead of being a window, they became a mirror. Instead of look at people looking in to see how good life is with God, God's people reflected what the other nations did. Those other nations who lived disconnected from God. And if you like, God's people just joined in with what the whole human race has done right from the start of things. Turning their backs on the God who's a God of love and light and life. And if you're turning your back on those things, it means you're embracing disconnection 
and darkness and death. So God removing his people from his presence was, was him giving them over to the life they've been trying to live out. Because the God of the Bible takes us seriously, treats us as adults. And it shows us that we have a God who is serious about things in the world that are wrong. Don't we want that? Deep down? Don't we want to have a God that says evil is wrong? And a God who's going to do something about it? For those moments when we get rightly angry at injustice in our world. But I guess where it gets uncomfortable, what gets uncomfortable for me when I look at my life and I realize I'm somebody who's hurt people. I'm somebody who's harmed people. You see, God's punishment all of a sudden is not bizarre and it's not outdated. And if I stop there, we're, we're left in a dark place, aren't we? Cheery Sunday evening at church. Eh? Where's the hope? Where's the light? God's punishment fits the crime. But God's punishment does not take away his promise. God's punishment deals with the crime. It doesn't obliterate the promise. See, God's promise still stands even for those who were taken away from their home in 2 Kings 17. A promise of God rescuing a people. Of bringing them home. Not, not as a nation, but in eternity. To bring them into the full blessing of life with him. And it's done by God himself turning up as the promised king. And turning up as the person of Jesus. The one who can do something about the state of our hearts, the state of our lives, by facing disconnection from God himself for us. When Jesus is on the cross, he, he famously cries out, doesn't he? At the first line of, of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because he knows and feels that sense of being cast out from God's presence. If you like, Jesus faces exile. He faces God's anger so that we don't have to. When what Jesus has done is applied to your life by the Holy Spirit, you become part of God's people. Instead of being cast out from God's presence, if you like, God turning his face away from you, God turns his face towards you and smiles and takes delight in you. You become part of a people that's called out of this world and yet still live in this world. And it doesn't take much for us, I suppose, to, to be a bit like God's people here in 2 Kings 17 and to be looking at the lifestyles and the, the life of the people around us and for us to be attracted in, to think it's a, it's a better option, a, a, an easier way of life. Then we stop and remember the punishment that fits the crime that's been taken for us. And it means we're spurred on uh, to live not lives that are completely different in every single way to the world around us. There are, there are some commonalities. But to reflect Jesus more and more. Whatever culture, through history, around the world, being a Christian means you stand out. Because you reflect Jesus. You're the shop window for Jesus. Holiness, godly living matters more than finding happiness at all costs. 
wholehearted followers of Jesus, rather than just trying to divide our lives into different parts for different people at different points in the week. Where we long for what's to come more than being comfortable in the here and now. Pray for us using uh, well-known words, uh, probably the best-known words in the book of Numbers. Words that we will sing later on at the end of our service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.